This audio recording is of Restoration Road's regular Sunday service, May 21st, 2017. The speaker is Mark Haxo. More information can be found at restorationroadchurch.com. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for being here this morning, all six or eight of you. Um, I recognize we, when we have a sunny day in the Northwest like this, it's pretty hard to get people to come to church, except those who are really committed to worshiping Jesus. So there you go. Thank you for being here. Anyway, I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors, and I get the privilege of sharing the Word of God with you this morning. And uh, we've been in a study of Genesis for uh, like a year or two or something like that. It's been a long time. And so today we're going to move over from the Old Testament to the New Testament to study a little book called 2 Timothy. It's Paul's letter to Timothy, his second letter. Normally we do that. We go from old to new, back to old to new, and we, we typically study entire books of the Bible, even if it takes us a year or two, like we just did with Genesis. So I'm excited about uh, studying Timothy, about, um, I have my phone here in case I get a call. Actually, uh, it's here for a timekeeper. Uh, I have to keep this sermon down to uh, no more than half an hour because I know you guys want to get out in the sun. So uh, anyway, uh, we're going to uh, look at 2 Timothy, and our text today is only two verses in first, or 2 Timothy chapter 1. So we're going to read those two verses, and we're going to go from there. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's the Word of God. I'm going to just say a quick prayer here is that the Lord would open His Word to us. Dear Lord, thank You for Your Word. Uh, I pray that um, You would manifest Yourself by Your Spirit here this morning so that we would be able to receive from Your Word um, direction and guidance and truth. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so uh, <clears throat> these two verses don't give us a lot. They give us a little. They give us who the writer of this epistle is, Paul, and they give us the uh, intended recipient, Timothy. Uh, and so we're going to uh, spend a little time in this uh, sermon just talking about those two people, uh, Paul and Timothy. Paul, uh, as you know, is called both Paul and Saul in the Bible. Uh, the Bible tells us that before Paul became a Christian, he was a devout Jew, a very, very devout Jew. And he belonged to a sect of the Jews called the Pharisees. Now, if you remember, as you read through the Gospels, it was the Pharisees who oftentimes came to Jesus. And they said things to him like, are you sure that your disciples should be gathering grain, uh, corn, or whatever on the Sabbath? Or they, they asked him all sorts of uh, questions intended to kind of trip him up. Uh, get Jesus to say, you know, like uh, two mutually exclusive things or, or somehow find some form of fault within him. And of course, they never succeeded because, well, first of all, there was no fault in Jesus. He's perfect. He's the Son of God who, who, who came to, you know, uh, demonstrate a righteous life, a, a life of complete and total obedience to his Father. So, um, and he always has something um, to tell the Pharisees, which would oftentimes then demonstrate that the fault was actually in their own hearts, and uh, that, that they were uh, the ones who were in sin, not him. 
anyway, Paul was one of those kind of guys, Saul, as he was often called, especially before his conversion. But um, he was even called Saul after his conversion for a while. Uh, but, but nonetheless, we know that um, he was a uh, Pharisee. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. And as you read through the Gospels, um, you'll see that there was uh, the Pharisees, there were the Sadducees, um, the, the, the entire Jewish uh, faith at the time was kind of uh, split up into different uh, groups or sects. But anyway, uh, Paul lived out his faith as he believed it at the time. Whatever his personal faith was of being a Pharisee uh, with lots of zeal. He was very zealous for how he understood God. Um, but he testified himself before a crowd uh, in Acts 22. He said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, in Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, uh, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. So it was this zeal with which he lived his life, he lived out his belief, that the early Christians were, in fact, opponents of God. They were opponents of the truth, and they deserved death. And um, he believed that so much that he put it into practice. In fact, at the very uh, first recorded martyrdom of a Christian, Stephen, recorded in uh, chapter 8, I think, of Acts, uh, we have um, Paul present at his stoning. He's, he's there holding their jackets while they threw stones at Stephen and killed him. So that is the type of guy that um, Paul, or Saul, uh, was. Um, we know that he was ravaging this church, as it says in chapter 8, verse 3 of Acts, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. It was this kind of mission trip that was taking Saul to the city of Damascus, where he intended to do what he did best, find Christians, bind them in chains, and bring them back to Jerusalem. But it was on this trip, this one specific trip, when he had an encounter with God that changed him, that changed his life forever. The first narrative of Saul's conversion is found in Acts chapter 9. But in later chapters of Acts, such as in Acts 22 and 26, um, Paul also, is, as he's giving his testimony of conversion, shares his story before uh, several different audiences. In short, Paul was riding to Damascus to persecute the believers who lived there when he was knocked off his horse by a flash of heavenly light. He then has his conversation with the risen Lord Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So Saul gets back on his feet and goes to the city, physically blind, doesn't eat or drink anything for three days, sits there waiting. Finally, God sends his servant Ananias, to go to minister to Paul. 
Now, Ananias was one of the Christians that Paul was there, you know, intending to go there and arrest. So, as you can uh, well imagine, Ananias is not too excited about God in a vision coming to him saying, Ananias, I want you to go to Saul and I want you to talk to him about Jesus. I want you to share with him the gospel. And Ananias is like, no, Lord, he's here to kill me. I'm not going to go and visit with him. But nonetheless, the Lord does have his way of convincing those who are uh, willing and faithful and obedient as Ananias was. And so he goes to Saul and um, he lays hands on Saul and says, believe. And Saul believes. And, And he receives his sight. And after gaining strength for a couple of days, Saul turns his zeal from false righteousness to Jesus and goes and starts to preach Jesus in the synagogues there in in Damascus. So he had this false zeal, for this real zeal for false worship that he turned into a zeal for true devotion for Jesus. His very sincere but totally incorrect understanding of God was changed to true devotion and true understanding to Jesus Christ that he was, in fact, the fulfillment of every promise of God. Christ told Ananias before he went to speak to the blinded Saul, persecutor of Christians, he said this, he said, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul, even though he did preach to the Jews as well, became the primary primary instrument uh, through which the gospel was proclaimed to the Gentile world. You see, until that time, Christianity, even in its early, you know, early years, was a Jewish faith. It had not been open to the world at large. Primarily, it went through Paul to the Gentile world. During the next several decades, Paul travels all over the Mediterranean region, delivering good news of salvation uh, through Jesus Christ, planting churches, appointing elders to lead them, and as a result, thousands and thousands of people came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Paul had a deep love for the churches that were established. And he often paid them visits. And he wrote them letters. These letters are what we call the epistles of Paul. They're letters meant to teach theology and to correct false understanding, to rebuke sinners, and to encourage the often struggling churches. The two epistles that Paul wrote to Timothy along with the epistle that he wrote to Titus, are referred to as his pastoral epistles because they were written specifically to men who were uh, pastoring churches at the time. Paul was a fearless preacher and teacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His love and his devotion for Christ compelled him to radical obedience, which often led to suffering at the hands of those who strongly resisted his message. Paul himself describes uh, how much hardship he suffered because of the gospel. And this is a passage we heard last week. Uh, Sam read it in his uh, talk with us last week. But I'm going to read it again because it's, uh, 
is so relevant to what we're talking about here. In verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil, in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Now that's quite a resume. And I would say that Paul uh, was actually uh, in need of a sabbatical. Um, at least a three-month sabbatical. Maybe even more. Um, but you see, that is a type of pressure that Paul uh, was accustomed to. That is a type of stress and, and pain and suffering that was a huge part of his life as an apostle. As Paul is writing his second epistle to Timothy, he's sitting in a Roman prison, hoping that his close disciple, brother, son, and friend, Timothy, could come and visit him one last time before his life is violently taken away from him. Now, as you read this book, you get a clear sense that these are Paul's Final words to his young protege, Timothy, his last lecture. Paul had previously spent two years under house arrest in Rome. During that time, he was free to teach and to write. And for part of that time, we know that Timothy was with him because Timothy is mentioned as co-author of, the, of uh, three of the four letters which are called his prison epistles. Those are the epistles that Paul wrote while he was in Rome in prison for the first time. Um, and for three of those books, Timothy is listed as his co-author. Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Now being in prison in Rome for the second time, uh, he writes to Timothy to encourage him. To encourage endurance and faithfulness as a pastor and as a preacher of the gospel. He encourages him that as a good soldier for Jesus Christ, he is to be pure and noble and ready to take his share of suffering. Paul clearly anticipates his pending death at the time that he writes his epistle, and he desires, through the writing of this letter, to impart to Timothy and to the church some final words of truth. As we read Paul's second letter to Timothy, we see that it contains the need for Timothy to have courage and faithfulness. He exhorts Timothy to be steadfast. He exhorts him to handle God's word correctly. He warns him of coming perilous times and apostasy that will come upon the church. He also prophesies concerning his own impending death and with great confidence that a crown of righteousness is waiting for him in heaven. Paul would often boast of his suffering for Christ because he felt that in his weakness, Christ was magnified. He was not timid to do the will of God, even when it meant that he would be suffering in his flesh. As I consider the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul, 
and what he was willing to do and suffer for the cause of Christ. It makes me wonder about the state of American Christianity today. How willing are we really to do the will of Christ? How willing are we really to suffer for Christ? It seems that many Christians today are more than willing to receive the benefits of salvation without any real response in terms of how sacrificially they're willing to live out the remainder of their lives. We know that suffering is to be a part of the Christian life. The Bible tells us that all of those who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer. So you have to ask yourself sometimes, why is it that there doesn't seem to be very much suffering? Is it just because we, God is being so benevolent to us that he's, he's kind of shielded us from that in this time and age? Or is there maybe some other reason? Maybe we're not always, maybe we don't, we don't, maybe we're not living our lives in such obedience to Jesus that it would even bring about any suffering. Maybe we're too willing to allow ourselves an easy way out. Maybe. Just something to think about. As they, <clears throat> Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's no question in my mind that living the new life in Christ, to the extent that we are walking in step with the Spirit, will look a lot different than what it looked like before. This compels me as I look out among all of you, saints here at Restoration Road Church, to ask you, each one of you individually, if you have been transformed by Jesus Christ, if your hearts and your minds have been renewed by the Holy Spirit of God, if you have been made a new creation in Christ, if you've been adopted into the family of God, if you have had your entire record of sin blotted out by the shed blood of Christ, if you've been given a new nature to combat your old sinful nature, it compels me to ask you a very important question. Are you willing to follow Christ wherever He leads? Are you now serving Him with your life? In what ways is your life a living sacrifice for Jesus? Now I realize that neither you or me have been called to be apostles, uh, as Paul was. But as Paul is writing this verse to the Romans, he's not writing it to a group of Roman apostles. He's writing it to the church in Rome. Which means he's writing to people just like you and me. People who have been called by the Spirit, saved by the Spirit, uh, through faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And he's saying, I appeal to you. I beseech you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, I am not going to judge your commitment to following Christ this morning. I don't, I, I'm not here to judge any one of you. Um, 
But I do want to give you something at least to think about. Now, there are many here who sacrifice much in simple ways, um, such as serving our church family here um, so that Sunday service happens every week. Um, when there's a need, uh, you're quick to volunteer to help. But maybe you're one who always thinks of an excuse why you are not able to volunteer to help. Uh, whether it's Kids Road or security or greeting or hospitality or media sound or leading a road group or cleaning the building once a month or any number of opportunities to serve, whether it be in this church or out there in our communities, uh, you manage to avoid serving in even one area. And again, my point is not to guilt you or shame you into doing anything that you don't want to do. Uh, I don't think... Uh, an unwilling heart is what God is looking for. God is looking for those who want to willingly serve Him with their lives. He's asking you to willingly sacrifice your body to Him in how you live your life. I don't know the circumstances of your life well enough individually, and uh, I'm not, so I'm not saying any one of you or are or are not living your life sacrificially. But God knows. God knows each of you individually. He knows your hearts. He knows your thoughts and your motivations. Therefore, I will leave it up to Him to convict you if conviction is what you need. All right. Now let's go on to Timothy. Timothy is the first intended recipient of this epistle. Paul first met Timothy during his second visit to Lystra, a Roman colony that was in the province of Galatia. In Acts chapter 16, at the very beginning, we read this. It says that Paul also came, or came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Paul had confidence that Timothy, this young man who he met here in this church, uh, was called by God to serve him. And so he and several other elders laid hands on him, setting him apart for ministry and equipping him for ministry. As Paul continued his second missionary journey, Timothy accompanied him and continued with him even into his third and part of his fourth missionary journeys. He became very close to Paul, sort of adopted son. In fact, Paul often referred to him as his child or as his son. As in Philippians chapter 2, verse 22, he says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. Or as in our text, which we just read from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, he says, To Timothy, my beloved child. Or in 1 Corinthians 4, 17, he writes, that is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. You can see that Timothy had become a sort of protege for Paul. Timothy became Paul's co-worker. 
And he served as Paul's representative in the churches of Thessalonica, of Corinth, of Philippi, and Ephesus. In addition to co-authoring the three prison epistles that I mentioned earlier, he also helped Paul write 2 Corinthians and 1 and 2 Thessalonians. It's interesting that Timothy himself was a co-author. Oftentimes we, we simply just say, these are all letters of Paul, but really, Timothy isn't really perhaps given the credit that he richly deserves for uh, laboring with Paul to write these epistles. Of course, we know that it was all inspired by the Holy Ghost, so ultimately neither one of them are in a position to, to um, be gloried, glorified through this anyway. It's all through them because of God inspiring his word. Um, but Timothy was younger than Paul, and uh, he was much more timid, and therefore Paul would often encourage him, uh, such as in his first letter to Timothy, he wrote, let no one despise you for your youth, uh, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Despite these apparent differences in personality, Timothy, much like the men chosen by Christ to be his disciples, he willingly left his, his, his mother and his father and grandmother and his home community to follow the Apostle Paul, to partner with him in his ministry and to share in his poverty and in his suffering. Although not recorded in the Acts of the Apostles, it seems that Timothy was imprisoned at least once during these years uh, as the writer to the Hebrew states in his final greeting where he says, I appeal to you brothers Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, from whom I shall see you if he comes soon. We know that Paul eventually leaves Timothy in Ephesus around the year 64 uh, to govern the church there in Ephesus. He becomes the pastor in the church, uh, the Ephesian church. Now the rest of his life and his death is not recorded for us in the Bible, uh, but from other sources uh, outside the Bible, um, it is believed that he served as a bishop or as a pastor in Ephesus uh, until about the year 97 A.D. Uh, and at the age of 80, so he went from being a young man now to being a relatively old man, if 80 is old, I think it's pretty old. The, uh, he woke up one morning and the uh, pagans of his city um, were having a parade. Um, a procession was going through the town uh, in honor of their goddess, Diana. Well, Timothy goes out into the street among the people and preaches to them the gospel of Jesus. But they weren't so willing to hear it. In fact, it angered them. It angered them so much that they, they uh, began to beat him. And they... Um, they uh, dragged him through the streets and they threw stones at him and they killed him. Timothy joined Paul and most of the other apostles in martyrdom uh, for his faith and his devotion to Jesus Christ. Timothy, together with his beloved Paul and the other apostles that uh, joined that, they joined that Old Testament body of saints of whom uh, the writer to the Hebrews um, writes. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. 
Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Do you remember who is, been, is being written of here? Uh, this writer to the Hebrews is talking about Noah. He's talking about Abraham and Sarah and Jacob, Moses, Gideon. He's talking about Rahab, Samson, David, Samuel, and, and the prophets. Now, we just got done going through the entire book of Genesis, so you know a bit about the lives of Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob and, and how oftentimes they were not they didn't make the best choices. Oftentimes they made sinful choices. Um, even as we do. In that way, we're just like them. But there's something here. There's something. There was something in their lives. All of these people who are mentioned in Hebrews that they had in common. And what they had in common was that they had faith. They believed in God. They believed in His promises. They believed in the promise of a coming Messiah who would come to save them from their sinful conditions. And they were, in fact, transformed by God so that they were able to live their lives in a new and different way, being willing to engage in the struggle of faith. But Hebrews doesn't mention their sin. When he mentions them, he doesn't mention their sin. And there's a good reason for that. Because at the end of the day, when the curtain closes on our lives, the life of one of God's elect, only the deeds done in faith remain. None of the sin does. All of our sins are completely wiped clean when we believe in what Jesus Christ did for us. When we receive salvation by and through faith alone. When one day we stand before Jesus ourselves who will come to judge the living and the dead. Only that which has been done in faith for His glory will remain and nothing else. So, Paul and Timothy both had their own personal struggles. Paul complained about his inability to completely shut down his sinful flesh and to live completely in step with the Spirit. Timothy was timid, and he had some sort of a stomach ailment that caused him a lot of grief. Much like me, and I'm sure you as well, they had to depend on the power of God to be effective for the sake of the gospel. They couldn't do it on their own. But they are the ones, the Bible here says, of whom the world was not worthy. They were willing to lay it all down for God, believing that He alone is worthy. Consider, all, consider that all but John of the original disciples were put to death because of their obedience to Christ to fulfill the mission command. And John himself was banished to a small island after he was unsuccessfully, um, uh, they tried to kill him unsuccessfully by dropping him into a vat of burning hot oil. But because he miraculously survived that, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos where 
we know that he received the vision which became the book of Revelation. In most cases, these men were given a choice to renounce Jesus and live or uphold their faith in him and die. They never chose to renounce Jesus. One of my favorite stories is the story of Polycarp, who was ordained by the Apostle John as a bishop of Smyrna. Now, Polycarp is not in the Bible. He came after the Bible was written. But history records this. That because of his faithful obedience to Jesus Christ, he was sentenced to death by burning at the stake. And before they lit the fire, he was asked if he would renounce Christ and live. And this is what he said. For 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my King and Savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season. And after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. They lit the fire. But the fire did no harm to him. He was then pierced with a sword. But before he died, he cried out this prayer to God. He said, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour so that in the company of the martyrs I may share the cup of Christ. Both Paul and Timothy had their share of the cup of Christ by refusing to deny the Christ who saved them. They both gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. But before any of that, Paul wrote Timothy a couple of letters. In the next several months, we are going to examine closely the second letter that Paul wrote him. We're going to go over it verse by verse. If you stay with us, if you're committed throughout the summer, you will become very familiar with this book. And you're going to hear me preach a couple more times. Pastor Brian Dixon and Brian Kirkman, both of them will also preach several times and we'll have several other preachers from pastors from our Three Strand Network come and service as well. In conclusion, Paul died in about 67 or 68 AD. He probably wrote this letter the same year that he died. That means that we are going to be studying a piece of writing that is about 1,950 years old. But this is no ordinary writing of man. Even though it was written by the Apostle Paul, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it is a living word. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Therefore, as we study this book, we will keep that, mind in, keep that uh, truth in mind. We will be submitting to what God's Spirit may be teaching us through it. Now, you've probably read this book before, as I have. But each time you read it, God may reveal something new to you from the same passage. I know I've experienced that before. I pray that our study of 2 Timothy will reveal profound, life-changing truth to each one of us. Let's pray.